God, we, uh, that's our prayer, that you would truly live within our hearts. And God, we know that that's what you want. Our prayer is that we would align ourselves to your will and to your desire, and that we would live a renewed kind of life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I like watching movies. I know the Seventh-day Adventist pastor, that's the wrong thing to say. When I was growing up, um, my parents would say, uh, if you go to the movies, your angels are going to stay outside the front door. So you can imagine when we would sneak to the movies in high school, because I didn't really go to movies until high school, and even then was few and far between. I was always afraid, what if there's an earthquake and my angels are standing outside? I once, I think just, this, was it last week, and I don't know, Amanda, where, I think it was at the, we, Amanda and myself were at a conference um, this past, two, I guess last week or two weeks ago, and there, was, there, was there somebody that joked that angels will stay outside, but Jesus will go in with you? We lived in fear growing up. I lived in fear because I thought that at every wrong move, at every bad thing I did, that God was going to keep me out. I grew up with fear thinking every December 31st at midnight that Jesus was going to come and I never felt ready. I grew up in fear because I watched Terminator 2 or 3, Judgment Day, and, and there's this, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I just remember seeing a, a part of it on the television and there was just fire consuming the whole world. And I grew up in fear because I thought, I, I don't want things to go that way. I grew up believing that I would never see the next year. When I was in seventh grade, I believed that I wouldn't live to ninth grade when I could actually play football like my brother did. Because I couldn't play peewee or what do they call it, a Pop Warner football, because it was always on Saturdays. So I couldn't do that. And I couldn't play any other sports. And the one time I was allowed to play a sport was at the Boys and Girls Club. It was basketball camp, and it was actually a team. And I remember that the team photo was on a Saturday. And I couldn't go because it was Sabbath. And in my small, young mind, I said, I don't want to be a part of that team anymore because I'm not a part of the team photo. So I, I didn't go again. My parents were mad. So I never got to play sports, so I thought in seventh grade, when I, if I can get to ninth grade, I can at least play football, and then Jesus, then you can come. And so I got to ninth grade. And when I got to ninth grade, I thought to myself, I'm never going to live to see my senior year where I can play football varsity. That day never came because I lived with too much guilt that if I played on Friday night, that my team would be a losing team. I grew up with fear with guilt. I grew up thinking in my mind, I know I want Jesus to come, but can he come later? Because there's a lot of things that I want to experience before Jesus comes. And I felt guilty for feeling that way. Because I was always taught that, Je that I, I, should I should want Jesus to come already today. And I felt guilty that I actually wanted to experience life. I felt guilty that I wanted to go to college and move out of my parents' house. I felt guilty that I wanted to go to seminary and just experience life out there. I felt guilty, guilty my whole life 
because I thought that everything I was doing and all of my wishes and all of my desires were evil and bad because that's the way I was raised. We are sinful people. If, if Bob was here, he would say, we're depraved. He would yell it out because he's been calling me all week telling me about some book he's been reading by one of the reformers, and he says all humanity is depraved. And that's how I felt. But the more that I read the scriptures and I came to the book of Ephesians, it's, it took me years to truly understand what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 means, that it is not by anything we do but by God's grace, grace and having faith in Christ that we are saved. It took me many years after reading it for the first time to fully understand that though we are depraved and sinful, oh, wretched man that we are, all that God sees is Christ in us. Never in my spiritual life have I ever felt more free than I do today because I know that not only is Jesus risen, but he has given me salvation. And with Christ's resurrection, he gives me a new life. The Bible says that if you believe in Christ, you are now a new creation. So we are no longer depraved, wretched men and women, but now we are God's new creation in which God is continually working in your life. Not to make you better, not to make you different, but to make you who God always intended you to be. You see, because we get into this, this talk of sanctification, and it's about becoming more Christ-like, right? That, that's what we say. But what we really mean is, well, God wants me to get do, you know, people say it like this. Oh, that's what I used to do before I was a Christian. The thought is, if God is doing a good work in me, there's a lot of things that I have to stop. All of these things, you got to stop. You got to stop watching TV. You got to stop watching films. My head elder from my last church, he told me, I stopped reading novels 25 years ago because when I came into the church, the pastor said that that was evil. So what kind of novels were you reading? Just novels. I read novels. I read the classics. God doesn't just work in the church. God works all around us. And if it's good, that is God behind it. In my life, I began to realize that it's not about waiting for Jesus to come. And I say this all the time, but I can't stress it enough. Our whole life in the church is Jesus is going to come one day, and that's the day we have to wait for. But what I realize, and I get passionate about this, and I get upset about this because I missed out a whole bunch of my life experiencing Christ here in this world now. Because Jesus in Galatians, or rather Paul says that Jesus came to save us. Let, let's read it, actually, Galatians chapter 3. We, we go with me to Galatians chapter 3. Because I don't want to get it wrong. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 3, here's what it says. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself, Jesus gave himself for our sins to set us free from what? The present evil age. The ramifications of what Jesus' death and resurrection means isn't just about some time in the future, somewhere up in the clouds. It's about that Jesus has come to set us free in this world. 
Jesus, when he prays to the Father before he ascends, he says, God, my prayer is not that you take these people out of the world, but that you protect them while they're here. God is in the business of protecting his saints. I used to be afraid. I used to grow up thinking um, every Friday night, right, we would have, we would have um, worship at home, in our home every Friday night. My parents would sit us down and we did it. And every Friday night we would sit there and I would always think to myself, um, what, if, what, if, what if people come in, the military is what I kind of pictured, came in and arrested us because we're worshiping God. Because I was raised with an image that one day we would all be persecuted and killed. Does anybody resonate with that? I no longer fear that. Because what we find in the book of Revelation is that God intervenes at the very last moment. That God intervenes. Now, I know there's persecution going on in the world, and I get that. But I no longer have any fear. Because the God that I believe in is stronger than any devil ever could be. There's no longer need for fear. I would put it this way. I was in the church my whole life. I learned the doctrines. I learned the Ten Commandments. I tried to live my life based on what I was taught the Bible said. But instead of finding life, I found death. Instead of finding happiness and joy in Christ, I was living in fear. Because I was told that I was evil and wretched and bad. I was alive, but I was dead. And yet I knew everything the Bible said. Dead. The only thing worse than dying, and, and death is just a part of life, I understand that. But the only thing worse than dying is being alive and feeling like you're dead. Right? The story in the book of Ezekiel 37 is about resurrection. I once was dead, and I was a Christian. And then the Holy Spirit set me free, and now I am alive. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. And we must learn to live as though that is true. So I invite you to open your, book, your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. I share with you this story of how I was raised and how I was brought up because I don't have a conversion story like I was into drugs, I was into alcohol, and then the Lord saved me from it. The Lord saved me from my Christianity. I would put it this way. Jesus wants to save Christians because sometimes we put so much into Christianity that we forget that what God wants for us is to have a relationship with him. That's what this whole weekend has been about. That's what I try to make my ministry about, is to continually encourage you to have a relationship with Christ. So Ezekiel 37, and Kurt, here's the hope. Kurt's been asking me, where's the hope? Where's the hope? Here it is, verse 9. Then he, God, said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, the bones, 
that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. We've gone from the bones being dry to the bones being put together with hu- looking like humans, but still something was missing. And what we find in the third movement of this story is that what gives them life is the breath of God. And so it comes back to the very beginning of time. Without God, we have no life. And what I have found myself understanding is that I owe my entire existence to the one true living God. This passage is not about some weird story about bones. This passage is about these people, though they were dead, God breathes life into them and he resurrects them. They were dead and now they are alive. Have you ever seen a Hollywood movie, which is where I started? And it looks like the hero of the movie is about to die. I think Superman is like this. Batman's like this. You know, the Transformer movies are like this with Optimus Prime, right? He, like, dies. But out of the rubble, they rise up. And you're just like, yes, because you know when they die in your mind, you're like, this movie is horrible if the person stays dead. They have to be resurrected. They have to come back from the dead, right? Am I the only one? It's okay. You can can admit that you've watched films, okay? (laughs) Every time Hollywood does that, they are giving attestation to the risen Lord. I don't care what anybody says. And I know that sounds weird coming from me, but every time I see that, I am reminded Jesus is risen and the tomb is empty. You see, if we want to, we can see the truth of God all around us everywhere all the time. That's living powerfully. Because it no longer becomes, oh, you can't do this or you can't look at that. It's we must hijack everything in this world and say everything is about God. Everything is about Christ. I saw um, a movie. This is not about movies, but this is just what came to my mind. The film Invictus. Did anybody of you, any of you see it? It's about Nelson Mandela and when he becomes president. And one of the things in this film... The, the, the black Africans were like, hey, forget the white people. They were the ones that oppressed us. They were the ones that ruined us. You can't, you can't give them forgiveness. And he says, but if we don't forgive, then we're no different. Christ. That's Christ. That's the message of Scripture. That's the message of resurrection. This passage is about resurrection. Jesus wasn't just revived. Jesus was dead and brought back to life. There's a debate among scholars, Christian scholars. On one side, they'll say Jesus didn't actually resurrect. It was just what the disciples, they told themselves because it was so difficult for them to grasp this. And the other side is like, are you crazy? Of course he resurrected. And then this side says, but you can't prove it. And this side says, we don't have to prove it. We believe it. One theologian would put it this way. Jesus was physically resurrected, and that is now the way that God chooses to work in this world. It was a new way. It was a new imagination of what God was doing in this world. And if God could resurrect Christ, he can resurrect you when you feel like you've been dead. Amen? Does that make sense? 
That makes sense. I know there's no screen up here, so maybe you guys are like, oh, no, it's too hard just to look at pastor. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, the Lord, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that man became a living being. What makes someone a living being? This morning when I say pray that prayer, God, breathe into me. What we're really saying is, I want you to be the source of everything that I am. There's a, there's a, uh, in, in the Old Testament, um, what is the name of God in the Old Testament? Who can tell me? Yahweh. But did you know that Jewish people, a good Jewish person would never utter the name of God? Which is why in the Old Testament you often find God being called all sorts of different things. Because they had to find ways around saying the name of God because it was too holy and sacred. And so there's, there's some ancient rabbis who said we didn't have to say the name of God because our very breath is the name of God. The, the, the letters in the, Hebrew, in the Hebrew alphabet are Y-H-W-H, Yod, Chet, Vav, Het. What these ancient rabbis would say is that you're very, those are the, that's the sound of breath. And with every breath we take, we are saying the name of God. So for all of those who say, I don't believe in God because I can't see him or feel him or touch him, the fact that we are alive is naming God. What if we lived like that everywhere we went? What if everywhere we went was sacred space? What if everywhere we went, it's as though we were encountering Moses' burning bush where God is there and we just have to open our eyes to it? Revival is about aligning ourselves with the way God always wanted things to be and the way God continually wants them to be. What I want to get across to you this, this, this weekend and especially tonight as Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, it says, God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. I'm going to say it this way. It may sound wrong. This is the best biblical evidence I have for this. Is that when God created us, he put in us his own DNA. He breathed his breath into us. Now, I'm not saying that this new age movement that we all have God, we all that weird. No, no, no. But what I am saying is, if God makes us in his likeness, we carry a piece of God in us everywhere we go. That is resurrection. There is no fear. There is no need to fear anything if we know that we are these bearers of God. We are made in his likeness. I don't think it's how we look. It's how God creates us to be. It's about being loving and generous and forgiving and kind and gentle. The fact that we are made in the likeness of God is that God says, I can see the beginning, the end from the beginning. I know what all of reality is supposed to be like, and I want you to be able to be a part of that. That's why the Bible says that the spiritual things can only be discerned by the Spirit. Because what God is saying is, I've breathed that Spirit into you, and now I want you to see the world the way I see it. And if we can do that, that is where the hope comes in. Because we're not going to be trying to escape this place anymore. We'll embrace that we live here, and we will make this place the best place possible. 
So I'm going to go. I have a couple more verses, and then we're going to wrap up. But John chapter 8, verse 36 says this. this we used it this morning, and I'm going to expand on it. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. God has given you freedom. Paul would later, or actually before the Gospels were written, but what Paul says is you can do all things. Everything is permissible, but not everything glorifies God. Do whatever you want, but it's not all going to glorify God. Jesus has set you free. To give, he has given you the freedom to choose whatever you want. But here's what happens. You can either choose good things that will lead to more freedom, or you can choose bad things that will enslave you. You see, in our freedom, we oftentimes choose the things that will lead us into slavery to those things. It's addictions. It's the things that we can't break away from. Jesus has set us free, but he says, choose what is good. Because if you choose what is good, you will find more life. But if you choose what is bad, in this freedom that I have given you, you will enslave yourself and you will miss out on this life. And so we are reminded of the words of Ezekiel where God says, prophesy to the wind. Because what these bones are missing is breath. In the book of Acts, it says that in him we live and move and have our beings. In God, we move and live and have our beings. I wanna, I'm going to skip to Ezekiel 37 to finish off the story. Ezekiel 37, verse 11. Then he said to me, mortal. Okay, this is where he explains it. Mortal. These bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. He says, I will open up your graves. This isn't just about people back then. Because the New Testament means, says that all who believe are the spiritual Israel. You and I, the fact that we believe in Christ, are the spiritual Israel. And if you've ever felt like your bones are dried up, what does God say? I will open up your graves and I will give you new life. This is the central story of our Christian faith. That there is death but resurrection is around the corner. That though it may feel like it's Friday, Sunday is coming. Do you know what I mean when I say that? On Friday, all hope for many people was lost when Jesus was crucified. And everybody said, we thought this would be the Messiah. And when he was dead, they gave up on him. And yet Sunday comes around and he is resurrected. This is the message for the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm not saying we were dead, okay? 
every pastor is a good pastor, and so I thank all those who came before me, and I will thank those who come after me at some point. I'm not saying that you as members of this church or as leaders of this church made this church a dead church. I'm not even saying that it was a dead church. But what I'm saying is that sometimes our bones get dry. But as a church, God is raising us up again. God is breathing new life. And the conversations that I'm having with some of you just over the last couple of weeks, God is doing something miraculous. And you know what it is? You know where that comes from? Is that as a church, we are beginning to voice the promises of God that God's Spirit will not leave us empty. Because we are learning to be faithful to the biblical narrative. I'm not saying you weren't before. I'm saying in a new way, God is renewing our life as a church. What I saw today was resurrection. All of you who were in that room making sandwiches. I mean, how many of you eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch? Really? Okay, yeah, you guys just killed my illustration. Okay, okay, how many of you eat bologna sandwiches for lunch? I actually, Kim bought some bologna the other day because I was like, man, I've been craving some bologna. So good. Sorry, Adventist health message. I'm sorry. It tastes good. Well, that's resurrection. Because that food is going to go to somebody, to a person who's just like, you know, they're, they're just looking for food wherever they can get it. And that bologna sandwich or that peanut butter and jelly sandwich that they're about to eat is going to make a huge difference to them. Which for us, it's just like, oh, it's just a bologna sandwich. Gross. Resurrection is when you begin to see people helping other people. Resurrection is when the church begins to have a vision of saying, God wants something for this building. God wants something for the people in this building. And God wants us to extend ourselves beyond this building. One of the things that Bob is working on is helping us to feed homeless people once a month. Because I told him, once is nothing. We need more. And so he starts looking and looking for places, and he found a place where we could go. It's in Santa Ana. It's just around the corner. And it's going to be a little bit inconvenient. The first couple of months, we're going to be gun ho about it, right? Yeah, let's do this. But in month four, five, and six, we may be like, man, this is getting kind of old. It's like all things. It starts big and gets a little bit smaller. But it won't because God's spirit is flowing. God's spirit is flowing in this church in a way that he is resurrecting us. He is showing us vision of what God wants for us. I want to live that way. I want to live the kind of faith where God can make the sun stand still because the battle isn't over yet. I want to live the kind of faith where there is no fear. I want to live the kind of faith where as a church we come together and there is peace. I want to live the kind of faith where when there is a little bit of conflict in the church, we fix it in brotherly Christian in, in, in Christian love. I want to be the kind of church where when people see us, they will say they must follow Christ. Is that something we can do? For God's breath and spirit to be a part of who you really are, I would say, and I'm, and I'm closing with this, I would say that it's in Galatians. I'm not going to ask you to look at it. I'm going to read it slowly. But it's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. 
If the Spirit of God is in you, you will have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I hate this list because what it shows me is that if my body could be filled with the Spirit, I probably am allowing, allowing only this much of the Spirit in my life. Because if I'm honest with you, I'm not always these things. It doesn't make me a bad person. It means that I'm still not allowing the full measure of God's Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God can do anything, yes? And God wants to do mighty things in this church, doesn't he? Will you partner with me and the elders of this church to do whatever it takes, no matter what God calls us to do? Will you partner with me so that we will be faithful to where God is leading us? You can say amen. No? <laughs> the breath came into them. They lived, stood on their feet, a vast multitude, and there was hope. May everything we do in your personal life and as a church, may you live and breathe and have your being in Christ. I want us to sing a song now as our prayer to Christ, as our prayer to God. It's hymn 309. I told you to tonight we'd have everything stripped down and we would just spend some time in the Word. Will you pray with me? God, our prayer is that we would learn to surrender all things to you. Our prayer is that we would learn to trust you in such a way that we would have no fear. Our prayer, Lord, is that you would revive, renew, and resurrect us. For some of us, Lord, our spiritual lives have never been better. For some of us, they've never been this bad. My prayer is that you would give us a double measure of the Holy Spirit as individuals and as a church. That the words of Scripture would not just be printed on a page, but that they would be written on our heart. That we would internalize them in such a way that your Spirit would have something to work with. God, I pray for everyone who is here this evening now, whose bones are dried up, who feel like they're alive, but they're really dead. That you would fill them overflowing and that they would experience resurrection. We pray all this, Lord, because we know you care, because we know that you will act. God, we pray that you'd breathe on this church. We claim the promise that you will act. In the name of Jesus, we pray all this. Amen.
I want to just say one last thing as we're getting ready here to go. You know, we had signed up sheets for small groups. There was very few people who signed up. And I want to let you know that the reason we're doing these, I'm not guilting you into this. Don't, never, never guilt. That's not right. But the vision, and I would say the, the vision that God has placed on my heart is that we want to have Sabbath morning services be awesome. I'm telling this to you because if you look around, this is the core of the church. You guys are the people that are going to show up, um, whether things are great or things are bad. But the vision that God has placed on my heart for this church is that we want Sabbath morning to be the very best that it can be because really Sabbath morning is just evangelism for anyone who might come through those doors. It's about trying to show people who God is, which is why we read the scriptures, which is why we sing. Sabbath morning really is, is where we celebrate. It's where the party is. But I also believe that God wants us to connect on a deeper level. And I kind of talked about this earlier. The small groups are there so that we can learn to grow grow with each other, learn about God in the process, but really it's about connecting. Now, what I didn't say earlier was that this is just a 12-week commitment. It's not year-long. It's not, you know, (laughs) if I I go, I'm not going to be able to get out. It's just 12 weeks, three months. And I promise you that this curriculum we're going through, that God will use it to change your life. I'm convinced of that because I, we did this with three ladies. I won't say who they are. Some of you already know. Um, kind of as a discipleship, newly baptized women. We used this, in the, and, and from the time we started to the time we ended, I don't know about them, but I began to hear their language change about the power of God. I began to see, even in my own life, wow, I think I was wrong on some of this other stuff. And I'm a professional. I went to school. I learned it all, supposedly. And yet this book is teaching me to realign myself and have this experience with God. I just, I want you to know that I don't want you to miss out on this. It's important. And, and there's a, there's a sign-up in the back that says, none of these times work for me. Help. Put your name on there. Let us contact you and find a way to be able to do this. I know um, Beaumont is far away. There's a lot of people, well, there's a several people that live in that neck of the woods in the you know, Inland Empire, and so maybe we can do something there. I'm just, I'm just you know, thinking of you guys because you live the farthest. Um, but the truth is just think about it, pray about it. Um, it's not going to start for another week, and so you'll still have an opportunity to sign up uh, next Sabbath. Um, but I just want you to, to just think about it and, uh, and ask God to lead you in that. I'm glad that you guys all came tonight. Um, church services never run under an hour, but we did tonight. And so that's a gift, it's a blessing. Sabbath is coming to a close, and so my prayer for you is just that you would enjoy the last little bit of it. And I hope that this weekend has been meaningful to you. I know it's been meaningful to me, and um, I hope that we can do more of these. I hope that we can do like three of these a year. I, I hope we could do one of these a month, but that would be too hard, <laughs> too hard for me. Um, but just to continually be reminded, God is infinitely and intimately interested in your life and i think if we do this god will do even more amazing things in this church so thank you for being here i have been it has been just such joy for me and um we're done (laughs) hang out talk run around jump around i don't know uh revival (laughs) so praise god